Welcome to the final part of the Dr. Trosco episode on Under the Microscope with your host, Tyler. I look forward to the discussion on the past methods to validate cancer cells and various treatment options, such as antioxidants. We will also receive some final advice from Dr. Trosco in this part four. Your company is really interested in developing new visual technologies and for probably drug development. And this is important. Uh, in, in this case, we didn't scrape load, but we micro-injected in a single cell the lucifer yellow, as you see here. Five minutes later, it radiated away. So that cells, those cells are communicating beautifully. We then treated these normal cells with lovastatin, micro-injected. They also communicate. We then uh, genetically engineered these normal cells with the RAS oncogene, and they became highly tumorigenic. We micro-injected a single cell, and you can see in five minutes, they don't communicate. So the RAS oncogene has blocked gap junctions. If you now treat these cells with lovastatin, micro-inject those cells, they re-communicate it. So lovastatin, the drug, is counteracting the RAS oncogene so that the cells are now normal. I have to ask, I have to ask, micro-inject, how did you micro-inject? I don't think in <laughs> my career so far, how did you do it in a single cell? I got it, I got to know. Well, the technology exists. There's all kinds of beautiful instruments made where the needle can be put with the dye and you can just by manipulating your microinjection system, you can just put it in a single cell. By the way, uh, this technology was born with electrophysiology back in the 50s. Okay. Electrophysiology was born that way. But now with micro-injecting molecules or dyes, the companies that make these devices are really sophisticated. So you have no trouble of just micro-injecting a single cell without killing it. All right? And in this case here, you used on a piece of equipment of such yeah. or no? Yeah, yeah, we, we, okay. we did. Uh, uh, in my papers where we published this, uh, I think we identified the exact pieces of equipment. But if you just Google micro-injection uh, technology, uh, you're going to find the yeah. instrumentations that are available today, and they're highly sophisticated. Yeah, we, we have some with in terms of ultrasound and micro-injection of uh, cells within animal models using ultrasound, but it, it was cool to see this on the single cell right. level. This is the, uh, well, this is green tea. <laughs> working with my Japanese colleague, Kimie Sai, in Tokyo, she took four groups of rats and fed all of them with Tokyo water. One is... Uh, just Tokyo water for six months, and without taking cells out, growing them in culture, she just uh, opened up the liver, cut the liver, 
took a small biopsy after it was uh, treated with Luciferiello, and you can see in five minutes the biopsy showed that the hepatocytes are beautifully communicating. She took a second group that were uh, fed green tea made in the Tokyo water, and six months later, you can see the cells are communicating just like control. The third mm. group, uh, she put PCP, which is a non-mutagenic, non-cytotoxic chemical that's used as a fire retardant, upholstery, uh, rugs, and things like that. Probably the seat, uh, the chair that you're sitting on probably has some PCP in it. We fed them PCP in Tokyo water. Six months later, you could see the communication of the hepatocytes are half of that of the control, and 100% of those rats had liver tumors. On the other hand, if she put PCP and green tea in the Tokyo water, six months later, the com communication is just like control and no liver tumors. Unbelievable. All right. Mm, it is. Uh, that's why I drink green tea a couple times a day. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I think I should uh, switch out my coffee every well, hour. Coffee is good, maybe. too. Coffee is good for the liver, too. All right. And <laughs> also for the heart because it increases self-communication. All right. So I'm going to end with this series. It turns out we knew back in 1987, 1987, that if you put normal organ-specific stem cells in suspension, within a few days, they form organoids. In this case, if you took a breast stem cell, put a single cell in suspension, they grow into a mammosphere, six days. On the other hand, if you put estrogen on these cells, which has the estrogen receptor, or TCDD, which is a powerful skin tumor promoter, and by the way, that's what uh, President Yushchenko of Ukraine Remember when he was running for president of the Ukraine, when Bush was president? They put uh, his uh, political uh, opponents put TCDD in his borscht soup. And huh. uh, you've probably seen pictures of him with all kinds of chloracne. And then BPA, bisphenol A. It's found in plastics like the nipples on baby bottles. You put these three tumor promoters, non-mutagenic, non-cytotoxic agents, you find that they dramatically increase the growth of those organoids, mammal spheres. On the other hand, we heard of, uh, I think it was the Danish epidemiologist, who noted that people who had treated with metformin, the type 2 diabetic treatment drug, that after 10 years they seemed to have very low risk to 
breast, liver, and pancreatic cancers. So here we had the stem cells, and we could get a hold of metformin, and we increased, in all three of these cases, metformin, and you can see they block the increase in all three cases. In other words, the signaling, the mitogenic signaling of estrogen, TCDD, and BPA on normal stem cells cause them to grow. But in the presence of metformin, that signal was blocked. Metformin doesn't kill the normal breast stem cell, but it blocked the signaling caused by these external tumor-promoting chemicals, all of which can block gap junctions. All right? Hmm. It's full it's circle. Full circle. Okay. It's full circle. I, I, I love when it always comes full circle. We've also done this with melatonin, which is a brain hormone. Okay. And this is particularly yep. of human relevance because more and more women around the world are working as doctors, police persons, nurses. People are working at night. Women who don't make melatonin because they're working at night are now at higher risk for breast cancer. That just tells you that Melatonin as an antioxidant is also blocking. Here you see single cells, breast cells. After 14 days, they form these mammospheres. But in the presence of estrogen, they form big mammospheres. And in the presence of BPA, they form big mammospheres. On the other hand, in the presence of melatonin, you see, melatonin has no effect on the normal stem cell, but it blocks, just compare these two, blocks estrogen effect on growth and BPA effect on growth. You don't, uh, th th those results are <laughs> right there. You don't have to. It's right. It's quite stunning, yeah. Just obvious. Well, they, they, this epidemiology group also showed that Metformin affected pancreatic cancer, and here again, okay, yeah, here again, uh, single cells. Day nine, they form pancreas spheres in bisphenol A in one methyl anthracene, and now NNK. Both of these are formed in cigarette smoke, but in the presence of metformin, you can see. It blocks the increase, it blocks the increase, it blocks the increase. So I've, I've shown how tumor cancer cells can be affected by various drugs simply by studying three-dimensional organoids. And I should mention to you, Tyler, today there are many other companies trying to study signaling in vivo in three-dimensional organoids. 
the point is they're not thinking either of monitoring OCK4 or monitoring gap junctions because those are the two things that are affecting uh, this de decrease. It's my opinion that future drug discovery will require three-dimensional use of individual derived normal and disease generated adult organ specific stem cells grown in cold culture with stromal and immune cells in other words you have to we have to get away from use of animals uh, europe just bans it you can't use it all right so people are resorting to either two-dimensional human cells that's worthless or three-dimensional IPS cells which can give you some information but won't be relevant to the in vivo human you have to have normal organ specific stem cells and they can be isolated today you don't need the Yamanaka genes to isolate normal human adult organ-specific stem cells. You just have to understand that the stem cells don't have gap junctions, and if you can develop assays that screen against cells that have gap junctions, then the only cells that survive will be the stem cells. The second point is epigenetics, not mutagenesis, should be the focus of mechanisms. I'm not saying that mutations don't contribute to diseases. They do. I, I've studied so many human inherited mutants, xeroderma, Downs, Blooms, ataxia, on and on and on. And even progeria, the premature aging, is a mute gene. But it mutates stem cells when exposed to oxygen because the progeria child in utero develops normally in a low oxygen uterine environment. The moment it's born, it's exposed to oxygen and therefore it regresses rather than progresses because the oxygen causes that mute. Uh, which is a membrane, a nuclear membrane protein to wrinkle the nuclei and they die. The stem cells die. The third point is OCK4A and the connexin genes and organ-specific biomarkers, not the 20,000 differentially expressed genes, should be used. Those heat maps with thousands of genes going up and down are, are nice to look at, but what's it telling you? It's not telling you anything. you got to just look at two <laughs> genes. <laughs> well, then you have gene splicing. Yeah, uh, right, exactly. The fourth point is IPS, or uh, induced pluripotent stem cells, should be used for basic biological studies, not for stem cell therapeutic applications. For reasons I mentioned before, you'll put that IPS stem cell back into an adult and it's going to have the risk of forming a teratoma. 
The fifth point is OC4A is the marker for stem cells, and connexin genes are markers for differentiation. And uh, that's all I have to say. And uh, I just make myself available to you and your team. Do you have any other question? You know, if you really want to pursue this in terms of developing uh, visual technologies or assays, I'd be more than happy to give you my advice. Well, Mr. Crosco, I, I know I can say is that was just amazing that, you know, you, we can, I, I know we could chat days on days on how much knowledge and research you've done over 50 years plus now. Um, it was just fascinating. And I interrupted you a lot because that's all right. That's what I want. <laughs> and I know that internally and externally, when we get this out, is questions are going to arise, and I'm sure you're going to get emails. All right. Um, <laughs> but, but I think you know I don't obviously you told us so much great stuff today, and I just I think I want to just ask you just a couple more on I guess the personal note questions is. I guess we'll we'll start with one, and I, I know we chatted about it a little earlier. And I, again, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but in all of that work, was there one in particular, one particular novel piece of equipment over the years that was that game changer moment for you? Oh, in investigating your uh, work, I'm looking or I'm trying to remember all of those slope changing techniques or devices i think we chatted about one of the technologies i can't remember i thought it had something to do with i know we weren't going to talk about the kiss of death but it had something to do with that one that really did change the course of my own journey of research was the development by a Michigan State team to develop the Meridian Acus confocal imaging machine. And okay. we published on the cover of Science a picture of cells that were coupled and were fluorescing because this technique allowed us to what we call FRAP, fluorescent recovery after photobleaching. This device it was amazing. It was designed by biochemists at Michigan State University, basic scientists, one of whom uh, actually liked to repair instruments rather than do science with instruments. All right. <laughs> and they ended up building this Rube Goldberg device that took a whole room, a whole lab with lasers and, you know, every piece of equipment you could imagine. And they finally minimized it and built a standalone confocal imaging machine that had a stage that moved back and forth and the laser beam went through the lens 
up to the stage where you had your plate or your slide and you could aim it at a single cell. And if you treated that cell with a fluorescent dye, that laser beam could photo bleach the dye, uh, wouldn't kill the cell. And when it photo bleached the cell, if it was connected to a cell that had gap junctions, the dye that was in that cell moved over to the photo bleach cell and it would refluoresce. That was a technique that didn't do much more than what we did before. <laughs> but what it did is got me on the cover of science. It sold that company, the Meridian Company, millions, it, it, not millions of machines, but thousands of machines that made them millions of dollars. <laughs> but they then, everybody around the world called it the Trosco machine. And I had nothing to do. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't devise it. I only gave them the the insight on how to use it. Because after they developed it, they didn't know what it was going to be used for. And it just so happened, yeah. uh, you know, this is serendipity in science. I lost my grant, and my postdoc didn't have a job. I happened to know that this guy in biochemistry he had just set up a little company you know a mile or so away from the uh, university and i said uh, uh do you need it <laughs> you need a postdoc and he said yeah we just hired a company or set up a company we need somebody with experience and uh, after she was there just for a couple weeks she calls me and said doc you got to see this machine so i went over and i looked at it and i said what is it <laughs> And after they gave me a mechanical engineering uh, description of what it was and what it could do, boom, the light bulb went off in my head. And I said, oh, my God, we could measure cell communication with that. And six weeks later, we did the experiment, and it was accepted for science, and it's on its cover. And that's how my, my whole career was changed because of that. Yeah. It's just that one moment sometimes, for sure, that one moment. I, I don't know if I've had that moment yet, but I hope I do one day. I think the, the to wrap it up, I just think I want one last thing. I know it's going to be tar hard to answer this question, but what is the one piece of advice you could give anyone that wants to start their scientific journey? What is that one piece of advice that you would give them? That is the, the key question because today for many young people starting out in science, the peer pressure, the paradigm that's controlling the minds of everybody in the field, you have to realize you have to be true to yourself. If in your own study and you know what the common accepted paradigm is and for some reason you've convinced yourself that your experiments just don't fall within that paradigm you just got to be true to yourself you got to know how to manipulate this because obviously you can't 
challenge giants because you're going to be buried by them. But you somehow have to have in the back of your mind, how can I manipulate what I am doing according to the way I interpret it, not the way the rest of the world is doing it? How do I do that and survive? And I don't know if I have an answer to that question because for some reason, not only did I have my own wife who believed in me when I made some tough decisions and knowing that I was challenging, and even to this day, I've challenged Yamanaka and, uh, you know, what that's like. <laughs> uh, a little old me at Michigan State University, uh, uh, how am I going to deal with a Nobel Prize winner who has rejected all my thinking and papers? <laughs> Uh, you just have to persist. That's all I can say. Don't give up. Just, just don't give up. Well, I can't thank Dr. Trosco enough for joining me on Under the Microscope, a podcast by Syntica. It was such a fascinating story and really highlighted the talented research that Dr. Trosco and his team conducted over the past decades. Really, really exciting cancer research and a better understanding how to maneuver your way through the hallmarks of cancer. Stay tuned for episode two of Under the Microscope, where we will host a brand new guest with a brand new story.